Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Clear and Convincing, the show that looks at criminal cases from the perspective of the courts, not the court of public opinion. We're Lisa O'Brien, podcasting from New Orleans, Louisiana, home of the 10 and 1 New Orleans Saints, Houdat, and Michael Carnahan from Little Rock, Arkansas, where the Cardinals became the Razorbacks after a win against LSU in 1909. Thank you for joining us for episode 30 which is a special anniversary show, on November 27, 2017, I was introduced to podcasting by Brad Hicks, Sean Castleberry, and Michael when I appeared on their American Idiots podcast. That appearance led to an invitation for a second appearance and then to co-host with Brad and Sean on the American Idiots podcast and then the Pulse podcast. After co-hosting Behind the Curtain with Brad, I had the opportunity to launch Clear and Convincing in February of this year. Michael and I will be joined by Brad and Sean to reminisce about the former podcast and to talk about Brad and Sean's new projects. As always, this is a live show and calls are welcome. Our phone number is 347-989-1171. Good evening, Michael and Sean. How are you? Hey, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Sean. Doing well. How are you guys? Pretty good. I'm gonna be uh, I'm gonna be doing my lozenges tonight. So sorry, but it's better than coughing. I don't blame either of you with that wind that's been kicking up here recently. At least in this area, shoot, uh, I'm starting to feel it myself. We're we're getting a few days of warm weather and then a few days of cold, 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 cold weather. And that's never fun. Exactly. And by the way, I would just like to point out, I feel like that was the last time we beat LSU was 1909. It's been forever. <laughs> well, I think, I think they, um, uh, you know, I said a couple of weeks ago, uh, y'all had the boot for two or three years. Yeah, we had it. There. And then we got it back and we've had it for the last three. So, yeah, it's been a it's been a while. Shoot, I'm telling you this much though. Good lord, that like seven eight overtime game this past Saturday was crazy. That LSU was. I know, I know. A and M. Yeah. Um, that was it was wild. 
very, very wild. It's almost oh. like that game with the six overtimes with Arkansas years oh, yeah. ago. Oh, yeah. I remember that very clearly. So, it, was, it was quite a bit of fun. But speaking about fun, I mean, this time last year, I mean, me and Brad were talking about this the other day, Lisa, when we first were talking about, you know, when you were talking about putting it together and I was talking with Brad about this, it's unreal to me the fact that it's already been a year since we did the Westminster story alone, let alone a year. I know. But, like, I cannot – I absolutely can't understand how it's been a year since we've done Westminster story. Yeah. It was, and it was really cool. You know, I think I've said it before. Y'all gave me a great opportunity when I came back the following week and then started co-hosting. Mm-hmm. And I do, I really do appreciate that sincerely, because I would have never done this if I hadn't had that exposure and that, you know, making those connections with you as a producer and co-host and with with Sean and Brad as co-hosts as well. Well, the best, and I am grateful podcast, for it. It's just, yeah, it, it's just it's a lot of fun. You know, I think mm-hmm. we all enjoy talk, talking politics and the different subjects that we go into. And uh, you know, you you were a great guest, and then came on as a as a co-host. And you know, we 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 went on with American Idiots for for a while, and then you and Michael, and you know, went your way, and uh, I went mine. Brad went his, and now we're all working on different different projects and it's good for us to all come back together and reminisce about this stuff and, you know, talk about our projects and, you know, things that may be happening in the future too. Right. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, yeah. There's quite a bit that's uh, on the, especially on the uh, horizon for talk radio 49 with uh, Brad making his full time return back to talk radio 49 with his own podcast. And we're going to get back to that here. Uh, towards the end of the show but definitely I mean the case that started it all I remember we were first I remember when we first were talking to this Lisa I'm going to be completely honest I'm like we're about to talk to some wacko who honestly believes that 33 <laughs> did it and I don't understand and like for real but I remember coming out of that especially I forget the lady you brought on but there was a lady who knew Damien and me and Brad both looked at each other like, holy crap, we didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Karen. I think her name was Karen. Mm-hmm. We're friends on Facebook. Hopefully she saw this. She'll call, us, she'll call in. Um, well, you know, the my thing has always been, if you look at all of the information and everything, not just what the defense selected to put in media articles, and you still believe they're innocent. I respect that about any case. It's just, mm-hmm. to me, if you're only looking at a small portion of the information, you're not, you know, your opinion about their innocence is kind of based on incomplete data. But if you can look at everything yeah. and still think they're innocent, that's fine. You know, I have no problem. I respect that. Well, the, the, the West Memphis three is so interesting too, because it's not just, you know, an Arkansas thing because Brad and Michael and I are from Arkansas, but it went national. 
all over the country. Right. Of course, HBO did did those specials, and it became part of the uh, the zeitgeist, if you will. And it, it was just, you know, so influential in how we see things and how we process information that comes across. I mean, before that, the biggest thing was was the OJ trial. So big, so mm-hmm. controversial, everything like that. And then HBO came out with this. And, of course, it was edited in such a way to make you feel compassion for the West Memphis Three, to put doubt into the prosecution's case and everything like that. So I know a majority of the people who had just seen that and not looked at the other side, you know, they, they, they were pretty convinced of the innocence of the West Memphis Three. And you made us question that. You made us actually look at it in a different way, and I appreciate that. that that's really great, and that's really all I want. A lot of people think – because I am blunt occasionally, and I can be a little on the snarky side. Um, you know, they think I'm trying to change. I'm not really trying to change anybody's mind. I'm trying to expose them to additional information that they may not be aware of. And, and you did that, and you did that very well, and it, and it and, made all of us kind of rethink our positions for sure. Well, thank you. I appreciate. I, I do appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, and there's a lot of things like we've talked about, Sean. I don't know if you've listened, but we've talked about OJ. And I remember talking yeah. about OJ on that episode, and it was just, you know, it was fascinating because, you know, obviously 90% of America has their mind made up as far as OJ, I believe, you know, guilty or innocent, but I believe one way or the other, yes. uh, quite a bit of America has their uh, minds made up. But it was interesting seeing as uh, they just had come out with the uh, with a new uh, show about OJ and reexamining the evidence and who could have possibly did it. And I remember bringing yes. things to Lisa for this show, just playing in Devil's Advocate, and to watch her shoot it down was just insane. Like it was crazy. There is times where she makes me question whether somebody could have done it, and then there's times where she makes me for certain if I walked in there, it's for certain, and I'm like, you know what? There's absolutely no way. Right. And a lot of that – go ahead, Sean. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, it's all right. Go ahead. No, a a lot of that when people, quote, reinvestigate or reexamine a case, and, you know, I think they go into it with an agenda. They want to prove he did it or they'd want to prove he didn't do it. Yes. And so, um, and a lot of the things on the, on the he didn't do it side, the pieces don't always connect or fit together. They may think they do, but when you really look at it, they don't. And sometimes that's because there's information that's there that they don't know about or they don't mention, which makes the, you know, the the concept of Mark Furman framing O.J. as a popular one. Yes. So many people would have had to participate actively in that, that it never would have succeeded. Right. That, that, you know. that would be quite a corrupt situation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just it's unfortunate for the prosecutor's case 
that he had, you know, done those interviews with that book writer and had said the words that he said, and it really swayed the jury's decision on who he was, whether he was a racist person or not. And, you know, of course, Johnny Cochran was a, just a genius in, in the things that he did to what some people would say, manipulate the jury to that side as well. So, Actually, another thing, though, that most people don't realize, but it's mentioned in Vincent Bugliosi's book, and it's also mentioned in Marsha Clark's book, that interview was outside the time frame that the defense was questioning from and about. I think Judge Ito had limited him to five or ten years. That interview was 15 years before. So Judge well, I mean, Ito really should that. never have let that in at all. I would like but it was so inflammatory. Yes. Mike Berman's still a piece of trash for, you know, some of the statements he's made well, in the past. But But you know what you know what happens and it's not necessarily an evil intent. People get defensive. It's natural when you feel like you're being attacked. Even metaphorically, you get defensive, mm-hmm. and you may deny something that makes you look bad because of that defensiveness. Instead of just saying, "Yeah, you know what? I, I talk the talk. I was trying to impress this chick. I had a few beers." If he had answered the question, "Yeah, I've done that," but I wasn't talking about OJ. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and that is, it's another, it's also sometimes with me, it's just another perspective on what something might mean. Well, guys, we've talked about the West Memphis three. Obviously that was the first case or that was the first thing we covered when we invited Lisa, but we also talk about something that, you know, kind of ties in a little bit with the West Memphis three, that being the judicial system in America and the death penalty and uh, I haven't really seen much about the death penalty. Uh, I have seen that recently uh, Asa has, or Governor Hutchinson, excuse me, has tried to acquire some new drugs to get the uh, death penalty uh, started. So, uh, again, here in Arkansas, at least. So uh, what all do you guys uh, know that's new, especially you, Lisa? I know you're always keeping up with the different things going on. What all is new as far as the uh, death penalty, especially in the debate here in America? Well, you know, it's going to vary so much from state to state. I know uh, I I haven't looked at what Arkansas, I think they are trying to, one of the problems that has been created is people have contacted drug companies and gotten the drug companies on board saying, we don't want our drugs used and executions. They went to compounding pharmacies and some states get them in secret. So mm-hmm. nobody can find out the identity of pharmacy. And that's so been challenged. From a drug dealer? No, 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 no. No. There are there are they're compounding pharmacies. It's not like going to C V S or Walgreens or Rite Aid, which I think doesn't exist anymore. Um, they're compounding pharmacies. What they were doing, and they were getting the drugs directly from the manufacturers. 
Mm-hmm. And the compounding pharmacies, I think, are kind of a middleman between the manufacturers and the the pharmacies like Walgreens, et cetera. Right. So they were doing that. And I, I haven't researched it, so I'm just, you know, what I understand from the little bit I've read. Um, well, I know, Sean, you're, some states, you're definitely. Some states are Sean. going to fentanyl because it's such a it's such a potent opioid. I believe we are. I believe we have fentanyl. In China, that that's that may be. I kind of pass off on you because you're more involved in the anti-death penalty. I believe it's uh, fentanyl and then two others. I, I know it's a three-cocktail mix, but right. I one of them. Sean, do you remember? No, honestly, I, I don't know what they are, uh, the chemical compounds uh, that make up those three drugs. Um, I know that what we have in the state right now is expired and they can't use any of those. So, uh, again, like what you said earlier, uh, Governor Asa Hutchinson is working to get new drugs so that they can resume uh, what they had planned to do last year and go ahead and you know resume the executions that are scheduled, mm-hmm. reschedule those. Yeah. Um, again, yeah, I, I don't know as far as uh, well, what, what, what they were. The three drugs are usually a sedative, uh, a let's see, a, like a muscle react, not a muscle relaxer, mm-hmm. or paralytic, and then pancurium bromide, which is stops the heart, or. Fentanyl definitely comes uh, potassium to loaded, but I remember stopping the heart. I remember at least what, like I was saying, you know, Asa uh, Hutchinson, the governor, has been trying to acquire new drugs, but I believe the every time he comes close to acquiring or does acquire something, I believe the pharmacies, or not the pharmacies, but the pharmaceutical companies have been able to uh, get a pretty quick. Uh, slap him pretty quick with a lawsuit. Uh, the last time I heard, I believe that he had got something, and the company was suing him to prevent him from using it in an execution. Okay. Now, I, you know, I, I you got to say they got to be careful with that because they're they're going to go back to electric. I mean, a couple states have gone back to electrocution. As an option, I actually, I actually have heard that. And Sean, that is one thing I want to ask you about. You know, with all these uh, challenges to the execution protocol as far as lethal injection goes, uh, it seems like it's kind of honestly forcing a backwards trend. In that, you know, you are you're seeing states like Georgia say, "Hey, y'all want to cut down the execution? Y'all want to make the uh, drugs harder to find?" We're just going to uh, electrocute them. I mean, it seems like it's in some cases they're pushing so hard that it's honestly having the opposite effect. And now you have the more inhumane way of executing inmates. Well, um, I mean, how you kill someone being humane or not, I guess that's up to debate. Uh, I oppose the death penalty, of course, but. 
uh, a lot of people support it. They they find that to be justice. Uh, they find that it, uh, you know, they say that it brings closure to the, the victims' families, things like that. Uh, I just see it. It doesn't deter crime. It doesn't do anything to, uh, you know, stop, lower the murder rate, anything like that. Uh, I, I would argue it doesn't bring closure. I, w- I would argue that, you know, it just it, 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 it's a delaying process. It, it can last, you know, decades, you know, as far as that's concerned. If you just went ahead and gave them life in prison, it's cheaper. Uh, and, you know, yeah, they'll die of natural causes in prison. You know, what, li- what little bit of life that they have left, you know, if you consider being in prison life, I mean, it's punishment. They're there for the rest of it. You know, I think that's suffice uh, for capital crimes. Well, it it takes now, the process takes sorry. so long because of the appellate process. Yes. So. And, and, and we uh, need that and, process because so many people have been wrongly convicted. But you can't you can't use that as a means of saying, well, you know, it doesn't work because it takes too long to execute anybody. When that that process, it takes so long to execute people because there are so many options available. In post conviction, mm-hmm. as far as whether it whether it is closure or not, that really depends on the individuals. I know two parents who did have relief and closure when the person who killed their loved one was finally executed because their worry during that time was that somehow this person would be released and hurt or kill someone else. And, I mean, I can't disagree with that, you know, especially we uh, talked earlier this uh, year, earlier, I believe it was, I want to say October or November, we talked to the gentleman out of San Antonio whose name escapes me, but uh, the governor Nico, of Texas. Nico LaHood. Yes, Nico name yes nico lahood uh the governor of texas gave a stay in his case and you know uh mr lahood sean became a uh prosecutor in this in san antonio i believe that's right or district attorney lisa which one he was a bear county district attorney okay. he's finishing he his term this attorney. december yeah but and one of his he's still seen go ahead yeah, one of his uh, one of the people who was responsible for the murder of his brother was granted clemency by Governor Rick Perry. And one of the problems, or one of the I guess issues or complaints that he and his family had was that Governor Perry never contacted them to say, you know, this is what I'm thinking about doing and why I'm thinking about doing it, and letting them know what was going to happen. They just found out from the news after the fact that he had been, he had been granted clemency. And Nico and his brother had attended the execution of the trigger man in that case. I think it was a year before. So different people are going to have different experiences. What I wanted to ask is, what are your thoughts in uh, that case, especially, you know, knowing that this gentleman uh, has experienced that and he's been through the process and things like that, yet as a district attorney, he's 
you know, he says he'll never push for it unless it's justified, but uh, he still, you know, leaves that out on the table. And I do want to go ahead and let you guys know that Mr. Brad is on the line, and I'm going to go ahead and bring him on to join the discussion. Brad, I know you uh, just got here. We're actually uh, reviewing the death penalty and where we stand with that a year later, but uh, we were specifically talking about Mr. Nico LaHood out in San Antonio, Texas who is now a district attorney and saw his brother gunned down in their driveway. And uh, Governor Perry gave uh, the gave the gentleman who was a part of the crime a uh, commuted sentence and didn't call him. So I was asking Sean how he felt as an uh, anti-death penalty uh, worker that um, – you know, somebody who has been through the whole process, especially the time constraints and everything like that, still feels uh, feels everything. But we'll go ahead and let Sean answer. Sean, go ahead. Um, well, the type of clemency that he was given, I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, was he released? Was he actually, uh, you know, commuted the sentence to life? Commuted. commuted to life. And he'll be okay. eligible for parole in 2036, I think. Okay. Okay. Um, as far as the governor not calling the family, uh, I mean that's a really sensitive issue. I don't. I, I guess I don't agree with that. I guess they should have tried to contact the family and at least give them like some type of way to appeal or you know plead their case or whatever. Yeah, I find that it was pretty, more to pretty unfair. Yeah, I, I mean it was more just to let them know this is what I'm thinking about doing and this is why. Yeah. Yeah, now, I mean, Foster, I'm, I'm, I'm really big on communication. I really do believe that that should have happened. Yeah. But Foster, the man whose sentence was commuted, was driving the car that was involved in multiple armed robberies that night, which culminated in the murder of Mr. LaHood's brother gotcha. on their driveway. So, um, I mean, uh, and the trigger man was executed. Okay, if he wasn't directly responsible for the actual killing, then I think the life sentence is justified. But that's just me. Right. It was this was under Texas law of the parties. Yeah. yeah. That's what yeah. I if you, yeah, if if you if you and another buddy go out and commit armed robbery and someone's killed, you're both as as culpable for capital murder. Whether you pull the trigger or not, and that's accomplice liability. It's it's a it's available in a lot of states. Yes, um, they just call it law, law of parties in Texas. Now, how do uh, Brad? We'll go ahead and go to you, so you can go ahead and get in on this. How do you feel about the law of parties and how it is as a law? I mean. Listening to Mr. LaHood, he personally sounded like he uh, held this gentleman, uh, and once again, his name escapes me, but he sounded like he held him just as responsible as the trigger man, as does the law in the state of Texas. Uh, How do you feel about law of parties? It kind of seems like an iffy situation with me where can you really give somebody the death penalty if they didn't commit the ultimate crime? I mean – First of all, I, I don't support the death penalty. I don't think it accomplishes anything. It hasn't accomplished anything since its inception. People are still committing murder, but that's you know that's my opinion. Um, as far as that goes, um, 
you know, I would say that I'm not real sure, to be honest. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, if you're in the same uh, vehicle with someone and they pull up on something and, you know, can you determine whether you knew or not that that, 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 that was going to happen? It, obviously, if you could determine that parties A and B got together to kill party C, but party B didn't do anything, but he was still a part of it, absolutely. But if if I'm riding with you, Michael, and uh, we pull up on somewhere and I just happen to lose my temper and, and end up, you know, committing murder, I don't think you should be held liable for the same crime that I committed. So it, it's one of those situations where in that case, just like the death penalty without a judicial system, to, in my honest opinion, that can 100% unequivocally prove guilt or innocence, I don't think it's it's a it's a fair uh, punishment. Well, now the standard Lisa. of proof is not unequivocal beyond a shadow of a doubt. So I think I just I mean, say unequivocal because that. there is no such thing as unequivocal proof. Anyone well, and when can. I say that, to me. To me, you can't. To me, and this is a thought that that I've actually gone over. I mean, Sean will tell you when we first started this, the American Idiots podcast years ago. I was a I was a supporter of the death penalty, but going back and, and reviewing cases where there have been mistakes made, you know, at that point, you, there's no way. To, okay, okay, oops, we made a mistake. The guy's innocent. We've just killed somebody. So. At that point, you know, it becomes an issue of, well, maybe maybe 75% of those that are put to death are absolutely guilty. But I still, there's 25% that deserved, you know, that didn't deserve the same fate as the alleged victim that they were accused of doing. So at that point, we're, we're, two wrongs are not making a right, and, in my, and that's what I think right. I'm not trying to argue. I just don't agree with <laughs> I don't agree with the death penalty that you know I, I know you probably don't understand but I just I can't agree with something I, that no, no, not no, I, definitively I, answered. Yeah, I, I do understand. I um one of the things I want to say though is in first of all it's never been proven that an actually innocent person has been executed. There but, are yeah, a lot yeah. of, of well, yeah. Yeah. Cam- I mean, we, Cameron we, Willingham we, uh, is based on experts who basically say, well, there was no arson, therefore there was no murder. But those three okay. little girls are still dead. And the evidence against Willingham was a lot more than just the arson evidence. Okay, but there there are other court cases in the United States that they have determined later on after the fact of actually having executed someone that that, that name, person was actually please, innocent. Sean, please right. name one case for me, one okay. single I'll, case. I'll find it. Uh, give me give me a few minutes, but uh, you you can okay. also look in the history of America in itself. Uh, all the innocent people that were murdered through lynchings, you know that happened. Uh, that was extrajudicial illegal act. I mean, you know, that's not 
And, and I don't look at cases. It was illegal, but how many people were actually prosecuted for committing that illegal act? Not many. Well, no, and that's a flaw of that time, period. Yeah, and so it's yeah, it should have been a hundred percent, but it wasn't. Um, and like I said, that's a flaw in that time. Um, I can certainly but, see. I can certainly see both of y'all's points, especially you know, I can see the fact that, and it sounds like to put place it even more simpler for the listeners. You can't give the ultimate punishment. If you can't ultimately prove without a shadow of a doubt that the person did the crime. And, you know, you don't have to look as far per se for, you know, you don't even necessarily have to just look at death penalty cases to understand that sometimes the court gets stuff wrong. Look at stuff like uh, these gentlemen that are being released from prison. That have been, uh, you know, spent 20, 30 years in prison and they were accused of raping somebody. We'll go, for example, kind of like, you know, we got into our conversation about about the judge. You know, there is mistakes made. And I think what Brad's saying is until those mistakes are cleaned up, he doesn't believe that the ultimate punishment should be enforced. Brad, am I wrong there? But in in Michael's. Michael, we've had this conversation as well. You know, you, you unfortunately, like a lot of people, have experienced a a, a, a a death in the family that was at the hands of an individual, and not right. You know, as it will. And 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 we've talked, and you know, you, I understand. You, there's a lot of anger. You know, when you lose somebody, uh, that that you feel like. Okay, this wasn't supposed to have happened. You know, they didn't die of natural causes or, or, or you know, an accident. When you have someone that's murdered, I understand there's feelings of frustration, there's feelings of anger, and unfortunately, in my life to this point, I've never had to experience that. And I know that you know that there's a possibility that I will harbor a, a lot of hatred and 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 angst, anger about the situation, but I don't think that that the death penalty would would bring me any closure uh, mm-hmm. in in regards to that because I don't see where you know we're playing like a, a regeneration game where okay well I'm gonna kill person B and you know then person A will come back to life yet I just don't I guess there's a morality issue with me now with the death penalty to me. And I don't think that you can punish one crime with the same style, you know, crime to that degree. I, I just think that murder is murder, no matter whether you do it under the the disguise of, of criminal justice or you do it out of criminal, you know, ill will. I think murder is murder to me, and I don't think that closure could be sought just because somebody's been executed. I mean, I could be wrong. I've never experienced that, but that's just my opinion. Yeah, I've that's got an individual. Okay. The Innocence Project has freed and exonerated 20 people that were on death row 
So we know that that's happening since the Innocence Innocence Project has actually come out. And then you can look at judicial cases throughout the United States. You have Chapada Rodriguez in uh, 1863, Thomas and Meeks Griffin in 1915, This is in 1992, Johnny Garrett in 1992. These were all in the courts. These were all people later exonerated after their executions in the United States. No. None of them have actually been – Sean, they have not been judicially exonerated. Uh, Texas legislator passed a resolution exonerating Chapita Rodriguez in the San Francisco County That was from an 1800s case. Predating federal habeas, predating the current system that we have now, even under EDPA. I mean, the 1800s, you were sentenced to death. You had no appeal. You had no direct appeal. You had no state post conviction. You had no federal habeas. That was an executive order exonerating one person. Who was executed yeah, all in the, the names 1800s. that I mentioned in, in each one of these cases, each one of these people were executed and then later exonerated through the courts. Again, Carlos DeLuna, Jesse Teferro, Johnny Garrett, none of them have, have been exonerated in court. Not one of those cases has gone to court and had a judge rule that they were actually innocent. That is propaganda from the Innocence Project based on uh, uh, Carlos DeLuna is based on a journalism article re-examining the case and pointing fingers at another man Mm -hmm. who was like 15 years older than Carlos DeLuna and wasn't the one found Underneath a truck, a few blocks from the from the murder scene. Well, and Sean, we have uh, seen, Jesse Teferro uh, killed. You know, he killed two cops. That two Florida highways. He hasn't been exonerated. Accused of killing. Huh? Yeah, he was accused of killing two Florida highway patrol officers. I believe it was a. Florida Highway Patrol officer and a visiting Canadian officer. But but all of these are listed, and, and there's cases throughout the world. By the Innocence Project. Convicted, wrongfully convicted. By the Innocence okay. Project. <laughs> that it's is their job. The when, project. But it's that is, that is the project. Innocence these Project. That's tools. where you're getting it from. No. These, okay, there are cases in the United Kingdom. There are cases in China, uh, the Republic of China, Ireland. And, uh, Australia. I didn't pull this off the Innocence Project website. I'm looking at actual uh, cases here from all over the world. Russia. But what uh, what we're talking about is the United States. You, the UK doesn't have a death penalty. They haven't had a death penalty since the 1960s. They used to though. China doesn't have a constitution. It doesn't matter if China or has a, a constitution. You know, or, a, or, or a post-conviction process or a direct appeal process. But again, in the U.S. system, 
none of the people you named in the in the twentieth century or after nineteen sixty five have been judicially exonerated. They have been declared innocent by journalists and now and then the Innocence Project lists them as examples. The people the gotcha. Innocence Project has freed over the past mm-hmm. several decades were yeah. not executed. The system no, worked executed. for them. They were going to be. They were going to be. The executed. system. The system wouldn't. Have however, worked. the system wouldn't have worked. No, no, no. For them. The it system. Wasn't an project. Well, the there system worked for them because that wouldn't have happened. DNA testing. DNA testing came about, and enabled evidence from their original crimes to be reexamined and to give more conclusive, more definitive answers than it could give yes, at the time it, of their original conviction. But at the time of their original conviction, the evidence against them was sufficient. I think that's see, another confusion that people here, seem here, to have. Here's the thing, though. If, if you kill one innocent person, you should do away with that whole system. The death penalty and again, should go that, away. There's no there there's no judicial determination that an actual Roger Keith Coleman was the poster boy for well, an innocent executed. For one that had been exonerated and I did give you the and one from the eighteen hundreds, so I did accomplish that. But that was no <laughs> because there was no there was had there been this system available to her in eighteen what was it, eighteen eighty six? I believe so. Had this system been available to her, she likely never would have been executed. Uh, see, I don't, I don't know because we falsely imprison and convict people of other crimes all the time. Okay, we honestly can't. I mean, I can't honestly not say how many people have been killed by the state wrongly. You can't say that no one ever has. You know. Well, to date, the only one, the strongest contender was Roger Keith Coleman. DNA testing in 2006 proved that he was guilty. And the Innocence Project would have slinked through. And and that's another thing that my problem with the Innocence Project is that when they get involved in a case and they get DNA testing and it confirms the conviction, they do not report that. They slink away from that, and they probably hope no one ever finds out about it. So all you hear about are the ones, their successes. You don't hear about the ones where it did confirm that the conviction was a just conviction. Well, guys, we're... uh... We obviously have a little bit more to get to, but we can go back and forth on this all night. I know we can because I, I know we went overtime on this the last time we talked about it, and definitely it is. It's a very uh, divisive topic, but another divisive and topic, you know, just as many people talk about uh, the homeless epidemic in America, and this is one thing I want to ask both Sean uh and Brad specifically, as they're on two opposite sides of the spectrum. A lot of people are lauding the economy under President Trump right now. Do you believe, though, that the homelessness issue 
has uh, has corrected since we talked about it last year. Brad, we'll start with you, and then I'll let Sean rebut. You're going to have to clarify your question a little bit. For, I mean, yeah, you definitely. Have I to. don't. I don't quite. I mean, and, and and I just I'm trying to understand what you meant by the homeless situation. As far as I mean, we still have a homeless epidemic, and that's a problem. Um, Right. To me, you know, I don't believe that anyone in this country should be homeless. And <clears throat> so, Hello? if you don't mind. Basically, what I was asking was, do you believe it's gotten any better? You know, uh, the president and the current administration likes to talk about how much they have helped the economy and things. But it appears that uh, at least – and, Brad, I know you've noticed it too. It appears we see more and more people uh, panhandling and you know, more and pe- more people still becoming homeless. And it doesn't appear that it has that aspect, which is still, like I said, a very divisive aspect in this country, has gotten any better with uh, the Trump administration taking uh, taking office. Uh, do you see that there's been any headway moved or made? Excuse I don't. Me. I really, honestly, don't. I wouldn't put that on on any president as far as what they can and can't accomplish. Um, I don't think that the homeless situation's any better and I don't think it's any worse. Um, you know, as far as the panhandlers go, uh, I don't use that as a judge for, you know, the homeless statistics because I do know that there are those that can make a quite a living doing that, you know, and, and feeding off the generosity of other people. Uh, when, you know, when, in, in all actuality, they're really probably better off than a lot of us. But it's these—it's the ones under the bridges, down at the riverfront, and it's the the veterans <clears throat> that have nowhere to go. And, and it breaks my heart mm-hmm. to see that anybody that has gone over and put their life on the line, whether it be Vietnam or. Uh, <sighs> You know, whatever the furthest war that that you could literally technically be alive in, or even these Gulf Wars, any veteran, there's got to be something done, you know. I don't think that there's any reason why there's a homeless epidemic in America. Um, We have too many resources, and and we have too many things that we're misappropriating funds on that could go to more beneficial projects for these people. Uh, I think in America in 2018, if you're home, if, if 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 there's one single homeless person, then I think we've we've failed in our mission to protect our own people and humanity. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. You know, uh, I wouldn't. That's I I I believe that it's honestly gotten worse. Um, I do believe that in the past year, you know. Uh, I completely agree with you, though. With the programs that are in place, obviously they're not enough. So, I mean, what would you add to them? I mean, obviously there's Section 8, but that can only go so far. You know, they can only give away a certain amount of uh, vouchers a year or a month. You know, some of these Section 8 places – have signs that literally say "Come back next year." <clears throat> Don't ask for Section Eight. Come back next year. 
It's almost like well, winning I mean, the lottery to get an extra night voucher. I mean, I could be wrong, and Sean, correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, we're not a big metropolis over here in, in, in Little Rock and North Little Rock and, and this area. But I go by and I exactly. see the old Job Corps building that's freaking, like, abandoned. And, and I go, holy hell, there's 200 beds that we could appropriate some tax dollars towards, and let's put some people up. You know, get them off the street. Get them out of, you know, try to help these people out. And I know it's weird to hear me say that. I've, you know, I've flipped the script in, in some ideology, but there's so much more that we could do, you know, that we give we give tax breaks to, to places that that don't deserve it, and yet we're not doing, to me, we're not focusing on some of the more crucial epidemics, the opioid epidemic that tends to lead to homelessness. I mean, people are giving away everything they got to support these habits. And we've got to fix this problem where we're going to go right down the drain. Um, to me, that's just the way, you know, that I feel. I don't know if I have an answer, um, definitive answer. If if I did, and me being just a simple man, she would think that there there's a few in Washington that could come up with something. But yeah, just right. I think we're I think we've got to find a way to fix it, Sean. I mean, we've got to find something. There's there's too many wasted resources and abandoned resources that we could be using. In my opinion, no, you're 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 right about that. Um, where do I start? Um, Michael and I are both veterans. We're both very familiar with the Veterans Administration here in the Little Rock and North Little Rock area. Homelessness mm-hmm. has gotten worse. <clears throat> we 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 see it all the time. Um, a $5.5 billion tax cut for the rich did not help that issue. Creating a hotline to report bad employees at the VA did not help homeless people. You know, trying to privatize certain sections of the VA hospital and take funding away from it did not help homeless people. Um, in fact, nothing has been done by this administration to help homeless people at all. Nothing at all, I've I've yet to hear our you know current president say anything at all about the homeless situation. And like what Brad just said, there's no reason for anyone in this country to be homeless. When you have the leader of the free country denying climate change and the travesty of you know uh, the hurricanes and the wildfires that we have. Burning down and destroying homes, you know, along the coast and in California, causing homelessness, you know, uh, it's just ridiculous. It's like we don't even live in reality anymore. And granted, yes, I do understand not everyone whose house burnt or was destroyed in the hurricane are homeless, but they lost their homes. And some of those people will not recover from that, and they will become homeless. And to deny just basic science against 300, you know – Scientists around the world that have said that this is real. I'm just getting off on a bad rant right now, but uh, yeah, homelessness in America—that's it's—it's a problem that's ignored. It is ignored because we have an issue in this country where people who have a little want more, and they are not interested in sharing with anybody else. The people that think that they're the middle class, they're just above the poverty level, and they're just one hospital bill from bankruptcy, and they don't even realize it. And they could be homeless next, but they are so 
happy to be just above everyone else that is below them. They don't, they don't care. And that's the biggest problem that we have in America is that people literally just don't give a shit about homeless people. I would agree with that. Lisa, uh, you live in obviously, you know, a much bigger metropolis than we do. Uh, how do you feel about the homeless situation as it stands, especially in New Orleans? Well, it, it's, you know, there, there should be more resources for mental health and um, uh, shelters and things like that so that people aren't on the streets, especially when the weather's as uh, bad as, it, as it's been the last couple, three days. But I've also seen in Memphis and in New Orleans that, you know, unfortunately there are people that aren't really homeless that act like they're homeless. And then there are some people that no matter what resources are available to them, they don't care. All they want are their drugs or their drinks. And if the shelter won't let them stay because they won't let them have drug, you know, do drugs and drink, then they'll stay on the streets. And there well, should be more now, help for for substance abuse and and dependency. I will say, um, I do have a question for Sean. I, I really would like Sean's <clears throat> opinion on this because, you know, I've seen it to a degree firsthand where you've had people that in all actuality have had every opportunity to do the right thing and have and actually squandered away what what they've had and on the selfish decision or, or the wrong decision but they knew wholeheartedly what the outcome was going to be can you curb that any Sean is there any way to do, do we actually count that against the homeless epidemic or I mean, what can be done about that situation? Someone who purposely just, they know that it's not going to end well, and they go ahead and make a dumb decision by leaving a job or get involved with the wrong person or, or such. You know, well, the, I mean, the uh, ones that kind of put themselves in that situation. I understand there are those that don't. But. Yeah, we we all make mistakes, everybody. No one's perfect. We all do really stupid things in our lives. And some of us are able to recover from that. Some of us are not. Uh, some go down the road of drugs. Some, you know, can never recover from having lost a job, uh, maybe due to poor education or different things like that. I mean, there are so many different variables as far as that goes. Um, again, in a nation that spent $14 trillion in the last 17 years on wars, we have no excuse for there to be one single homeless person in this country. We have more vacant homes in this country than we do people. It's disgusting. Um, I mean, you can call me a Marxist and a socialist all you want to, but it, it's a basic human right that people should have shelter, free health care, education. These are things that people need, and if we provided those things to people, we wouldn't have homelessness. We would be able to take care of addiction, and we'd have a much better society. I mean, I can, I can agree with that. I think that, I think that, and Sean, I know, um, I know, I understand completely understand what you're saying. I was wondering though, um, do you would you put a fail-safe system in place for those that we offer assistance to, as far as to where we can kind of get a grasp on those that may uh, 
is there anything? I mean, basically, identify how do you outliers. identify those that are actually there to to better themselves and to make something of themselves, and that those are there to go? Okay, well, I've got this, and I've got this, and I've got that. I'm satisfied where I'm at, and this isn't going to go away. I'm going to continue to receive this, and and I'm not going to make an effort to do anything. I mean, do you do you put some kind of system in place, Sean, for that situation? Well, I mean, you're always going to have people that take advantage of anything, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, WIC, food stamps, you know, uh, less than 1% of the people that do take advantage of those, we, you know, they get caught. It's going to happen. Um, they're just corrupt people out there that just don't care about anybody else. You're not going to be able to change that. Um, right. but, but if we could do away with, uh, I don't know. I mean, this is a whole philosophical argument, but I mean, you get people to focus on the, the embetterment of humankind itself instead of the acquisition of wealth and hoarding of things, then you could make the world a lot better. People would be happier, more fulfilled. Um, it, it would just be better for everybody. You know, take care of the basic human rights of people. Make sure that everybody has everything that they need. We can do that. There's more than enough resources to do that for every single person on this planet. And then we can focus on different things as far as how to sustain this planet because it's not going to last forever. You know, we're on a big ball out here in the Milky Way. We need to find another place pretty soon. If we don't, we're all going to die. We're going to go extinct. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, you you aren't lying. That is something that we definitely need to uh, look and keep an eye out for because it's it's one of those things that you know you can no longer deny global warming, even though you know I've seen people still try to. Well, you can no. The longer, president did that just it, today. Yeah, I was about to say I I tried not to say it by name, but you know. There are certain individuals out there who somehow still deny it. But, guys, when we get back, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we get back, we're going to talk about net neutrality. Obviously, we're going to talk about speed trap and the life and the now, unfortunately, uh, late Mr. Bill Allen and uh, Tupac and Biggie, the last uh, topic we ever covered uh, on the – Pulse and American Idiot podcast. And then we're going to have some fun with Brad talking about some of these behind the curtains and uh, catch up with Sean about on the real. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Clearing and Vincing. Go ahead. Oh, and Sci Fi Visions. Yes, of course, Sci Fi Visions. Uh, Definitely want to give him a moment to uh, talk about that because. Honestly, Sean, I'm not a big uh, sci-fi fan, but, you know, I I kind of do laugh at your posts from time to time. They're pretty cool. So uh, Thank you. We'll, definitely be talking, we'll definitely be talking about that in the second hour, and uh, we'll be back with more Clear and Convincing.
Are you looking for the best deals for your vaping needs and accessories? Then check out the guys at Sub On Vapors. With daily specials on a wide selection of mods and juices, they will surely become your one-stop shop. Ray and the guys at Sub On Vapors located at 6929 JFK Boulevard, Suite C in North Little Rock, Arkansas, want to see you. Join them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, but more importantly, visit the store or call 501-392-6487. Sub On Vapors. Vape it like you built it. been a fun quick first hour uh you know debating mm-hmm. all these old topics with you guys and looking at how far we've come you know in the past year like i said i mean brad can tell you we sat there the other day and we were like wow i can't believe it's already been a year brad and as a matter of fact uh you know the live videos popped up on our video on our my memories today on facebook and i sent one over to brad um, it's kind of mind-blowing brad uh Real quick, you know, we all got to talk about how it's been, you know, a year, how kind of mind-blowing it's been. How's it been for you? Is it, you know, you still trying to wrap your mind around this one? Well, I, I, as far as, I mean, it's been crazy. It's, It's been one of those years where, yeah, I, when you sent me that video, I thought to myself, I said, wow, um, <laughs> You know, and, and, you know, having had done this before with Sean, you know, and, and going back to the career that uh, that I guess myself and you are currently in over at ASWF, you know, having mm-hmm. under the under the guidings of the Talk Radio 49, uh, where, where everything's evolved, you know, um, it's crazy, you know, how time is flying by, you know, I've got a three-year-old nephew now and a uh, and a, and a nine month old, uh, his little brother, and so it's like, wow, cannot believe that time's going by. And then, obviously, when we get into talking about the speed trap situation, uh, right? You know, that one hits a little home for me. Although I didn't know the the, the gentleman very well, um, it just it's funny how things have been placed in front of of me and, and, uh, you and, and Sean and, and, and how this has all started, you know, Lisa coming on board for the, the West Memphis show. And then basically, you know, we, we had the idea of of doing all three of us together. And obviously, you know, you put three, uh, 
very strong-headed, opinionated people in the same uh, room uh, together, you know, whether it's a virtual room or a real room, um, things just uh, didn't mesh up like like we had thought they would, and then we all went and did our own little separate things, and and it's worked um, for the most part, uh, you know, and then life gets in the way of, of, of this, what we do as a hobby, because I'm not making any money on it. Um, but right. we have fun doing it and it's been a hell of a ride and, and, uh, you know, I, I wasn't going to miss being on this show, um, by any stretch. I, I forgot what it's like to, to actually, to argue the point with John. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> oh, you know, Sean's that little chihuahua that start biting the hell out of your ankle, you know? You're like, damn, get off me, stop. <laughs> <laughs> You got to beat him yep. up against the wall trying to get him off. <laughs> I mean, you know, not not a size reference to Sean by any stretch, but I mean, damn it! I mean, you know, I go back and I think about when I first met Sean uh, at the the Mapco station, and mm-hmm. you know, I was working the overnight shift, and he would come in, and we would have discussions, and and damn those six o'clock in the morning discussions, Sean was Bible man were were some of the. I will never forget those for as long yeah, as I, know, I live, right. you know, Sean? I mean, those those were, and and Brent, you know, oh, my goodness. Those those got just eye-opening experiences from, from other people. And, and I think that's what it takes, Sean, is we all kind of get in this bubble of, of what, we, what we feel comfortable with. And I think if everybody stepped out of it, and listen to what everybody else had to say. You don't have to agree with it, but if you listen to it and you opened yourself up to possibly go, well, you know, I see a point there, not just go, well, I don't believe in that, so I'm not going to do it. I think that's what helps is the ability to change yourself as you go along in life and you progress and you get older. I think the ability to change within yourself is something that we all need to learn to do. I mean, you know, I'm not saying that you have to go, well, I think he's right. No, I mean, listen to other people, investigate the situation, formulate an educated opinion, not just uh, an opinion that Rachel Maddow has or, uh, you know, whatever his name, Tucker Carlson, whatever the hell his name is. Not what they think, but listen to all these various sides. When you watch the news, don't just watch one channel. Watch five or six and then formulate your own opinion based on what everybody's saying. And I think if we did that, I think the world would be a much better place. But I think we're we get closed minded and we get so stuck on what we think is right that we lose sight of of, of you know the good and that's out there. And that's my opinion. I, I can no, totally I, see I would that. definitely agree with that. You know, yeah, I, I agree. It, it, I think it boils down to, and my wife was just looking. She just said this as well. Um, you know, it, it comes down to laziness. People build these echo chambers, and they just they 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 see what they like, and then they just listen to that over and over again. And they don't they they're you know, especially with social media, they have the ability to close off other people instead of listening to other uh, opinions at all. And friendly debate is just going out the, the window. I mean, now it's just people being angry at each other all the time. It's really sad. That, well, guys, that is very. Around this time last year, everybody was losing their mind over something that, let's be honest, in my opinion, and I haven't seen too much, Brad, 
you you're on the internet more than me, Sean. I'm sure you're on the internet more than me. Besides for research purposes and work, honestly, I haven't noticed anything. But net neutrality, what's really changed in 365 days since that? You know, was a big topic of discussion last year and on everybody's mind. Has anything really changed in anybody's opinion on here? I haven't seen anything as far as that goes. I mean, Sean, if if you've been keeping up with it, then there may be some subtle changes, but I haven't experienced any difference in my Internet participation um, by any, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, so far I haven't seen any type of real change, uh, not even subtle yet. Um, I expect that, you know, I mean, again, most people have forgotten about it. Most people aren't talking about it. So um, the next big thing that happens in the news, that could be when they slip in some legislation that we just don't know about. You know, that's usually how these things happen. So, uh, I mean, again, net neutrality, again, everybody's forgot about it. Sean, I think think there was, you know, all this gloom and doom and – Nothing's changed. I mean, Cox, my provider, came out with panoramic Wi-Fi. So the Wi-Fi in my house is way better than it was. Um, And I think what people didn't understand, it was really a small change that would enable the FTC to do enforcement that the FCC was not capable of doing. And I know a lot of broadband and, you know, out in the country and uh, more rural areas, I've seen a lot of stuff about new broadband providers and broadband access that was not possible under the former rules because of the FCC uh, snafus in the prior legislation. I can see that. That's a good point. That's a good point as far as that goes. Um, you know, I have noticed, I have noticed a lot of difference in that. You know, more uh, options available to you, but I haven't noticed. You know, oh, they're throttling back my speeds. No much, no, no mm-hmm. more so than what I noticed beforehand. Which is, hey, if you're using a ton of internet. We're going to make it at least fair to little Jimmy over here who doesn't use as much internet. You're not going to slow his down because you want to use it all. And at the at the well, capabilities the that are available technologically. Uh, all, all the lawsuits that, that, that were filed after this, they're all unsettled yet, and uh, no verdicts or anything has gone through. So maybe they're waiting for all that to, to pass by before they do anything. It's possible. Yeah. But I – with the technology that we have now, I don't think people would really notice much as far as slowing. Anybody who's used dial-up oh, or DSL, you know the pain of a picture downloading. Yeah. And now it's like lightning speed. Yeah, I so. mean, if you don't get something instantaneous, instantaneous now... Uh, you know, you're like, holy crap, my internet's down, my internet's down. Mm-hmm. Dude, you so you were waiting five minutes to switch web pages. Right, exactly. 
And uh, and and I found on my laptop, it's not my internet; it's a problem with my laptop. Mhm. It's the it's the internal you know capabilities of the laptop that are causing it to seem like a problem. Now, the same thing happens to Michael when yeah. he spends too much time on Pornhub. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know you get those viruses too. <laughs> How did I know that it was going to go to that? Well, <laughs> great subject. See, I don't do that to Michael, y'all. <laughs> You're missing out. I, I just know. <laughs> With between you have to the age, your, your no, I don't do that. I, I I treat him really nice. I even help him. She does. She does. <laughs> but. Uh, you know, that's because I'm a girl. On, that, well, yeah, that's true too. But uh, <laughs> me and Brad kind of hit on it coming back from break, but uh, and heading into break. But uh, we had a gentleman on the show, and I actually just came across his book. Uh, I believe it was Sunday. Uh, Speed Trap. You know, one of the most fascinating people we've ever had on this show, and. I still remember. I don't remember the exact day, and I'm sure Brad, because Brad's better with dates than me. Brad can tell you a date, but I remember the first time Brad told me what happened with uh, Mr. Allen, and I didn't believe him. Jim. I was like, "Dude, you're joking!" Like Bill's going on Survivor. Like we've all seen the videos on Facebook. Bill's mm-hmm. going on Survivor. You're messing around. And he was like, "No, dude." Look at the news story, and I believe he showed me a newspaper article, and I, it just blew my mind that that had happened. But, uh, Brad, we'll go ahead and start with you because you did have the most conversations with uh, Bill. Um, go ahead and let us uh, – go ahead and talk us through uh, Mr. Allen. Well, um, you know, I was a friend of Bill's on, on Facebook, and, and – uh, before the incident occurred that led me to to talk to Bill as far as his opinion goes and got him on the show, I had actually um, have always been into the drones and flying the drones and had wanted one. And I had seen a video that Bill did in, in a Remember North Little Rock Now and Then page uh, with his drone, and I had made a comment about it. He told me about it, and, and then... Facebook and we had kind of went our ways or whatever. And the incident with the gentleman, the young man in the North Little Rock Police Department occurred. Um, and that's what led me to Bill's post. You know, uh, I was reading a comment that he made about it. And we just I forget the how the incident, how it started. But, you know, I read what he was talking about, and then I had asked him to come on, and he identified himself as being an author, and that's what led us to the book Speed Trap. And, of course, you know, Michael, we met him at the Lakewood House, um, he and his wife, Debbie, um, where he gave us a couple of copies of the book. And, of course, then we took one to Sean, and uh, over the time, um, I had um, had really – you know, started a conversation with him after that as well. Um, it was June 17th when he suffered the motorcycle wreck. 
that ended his life uh, at the age of 62 years old. Uh, but what a, a heartwarming story he had, and, and you know, with um, with him and his wife, you know, this is a man that had been incarcerated for years, and uh, Debbie stayed by his side for the, uh, you know, and came back uh, after he was released, and and they lived together until his tragic passing. Um, but I was trying to, I was actually, I'm looking at his page right now. I wanted to read this post he made um, uh, right after the show. Uh, and it's I'm, Okay, here it is. Uh, this was on January the 18th. Uh, Bill posted, I'd like to thank Brad Hicks, Michael uh, Carnahan, Lisa O'Brien, and Sean Castleberry for having me on their podcast, The American Idiots, Monday night. Wasn't really sure who The American Idiots were. Was it the hosts? Was it the guests? Um or was it all the listeners? Didn't really matter to me. Figured I'd fit right in, and I guess I did. I enjoyed the show, but more, much more than that, enjoyment has evolved from this experience. The response to the post I made about C.J. Smith has rekindled my desire to continue sharing my story. And then he goes into talking about having been encouraged many times to write a continuation. And he had actually started that called Beyond the Abyss. Now, obviously, that will not ever be finished. But, um, you know, his story, Sean, and, and, and Lisa and Michael really kind of touched me in a really profound way because here was a man that could have, for all intents and purposes, shit on the system and stayed where he was at, but he had learned a lesson, um, admitted his mistakes, and was out using his mistakes to try and benefit you know, other people from, from making those same mistakes. And, and I think that he embodied what uh, humanity needed to be about. And it was, you know, having only, I mean, you go back and you think January to June is not a very yeah. long time to know somebody. And you've only met him one time, but mm-hmm. you know, that hit home. You know, I'm not going to lie to you. When, when I found out that, that, and even talking about him right now, I'm, I get a, a tad bit emotional and Katira, because I feel like you you meet these people that that teach you something internally within yourself. Um, you know, me and Bill, and I'll open up personally. Me and Bill identified on several levels. I used to be very addicted to a, a ton of stuff and was a very shitty individual. Um, and I'm not a perfect individual by any stretch of the imagination, but I feel like you know, in my life at, at just turning 40 years old, I've reached a level where I'm able to, to turn the corner and try to benefit others. Um, you know, and I guess that's what Bill did. You know, Bill had a grandson, uh, very young grandson that, that these pictures break my heart looking through them. But, you know, I think he did like I try to do Sean and that's, try to inspire, you know, like my goal is to inspire my nephews to give them something to look up to besides what their mother, my sister and and my brother-in-law are both awesome parents try to do with them. You know, I I just want to try to make the world a better place for them moving forward. And I think that's what Bill embodied in in all honesty. And and, And I don't think you could have found a greater person. Yeah, Bill was a pretty cool dude, you know, uh, 
He did uh, 27 years, three months, and 15 days in prison, and then wrote the book Speed Trap. And, uh, you know, he, 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 I mean, he was still pretty young. You know, he was 60-something years old. What's interesting is that, you know, how quick he went. You know, like one day he was our friend on Facebook, somebody that we knew. I mean, we, heck, we had just, you know, done the show and everything just, just a few months before. And, yeah, it was mind-blowing when, when you guys told me, you know, what had happened. And, and it's just like you never know when somebody's going to go. And we were all lucky to just have, you know, a glimpse into his life. You know, how many people are out there that we just don't know anything about because we don't take the time to find out. Right. Yeah. You're right. I mean, it's just a chance encounter, you know, just just a chance encounter. Uh, the unfortunate events that happened to the young young man um, in North Little Rock, and then to to meet Bill and and be able to enjoy, you know, what he had to say, and and you know, it's tragic that everything was cut short because I think he was getting ready. He was looking for venues to get his message across and um you know i still communicate from time to time with 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 his ex you know with his wife debbie and 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 you know always obviously you can't tell someone it'll be okay because you know it, death is a, is a really hard thing to to grasp you know my grandmother's been gone for be four years in in march and it's still one of those situations where you're like I don't know if you ever get over it, um, but you know I'm, I'm very fortunate and blessed that I have what I have and was able to to meet Bill. And I know it's opened my eyes as far as trying to to reach out to to, to people and not judge them. And I think that was the message that Bill got to me was is initially Sean, you know, having seen his past, he judged that young young man for being a thug. And then he stopped and, I, and 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 went. You know that could have been me. That could have been me. And I instantly went for, you know, the the rock instead of the compassion. I went to stone the man or the young man instead of going. Well, what could have been done different? And I think the people and we need more Bill Allens in the world. Honestly, you know. Uh, and I think that's one of the things I took away from that whole experience. Well, and I remember, um, I remember the post you keep referencing and I'm going to have to paraphrase because, uh, because I don't remember the exact wordage, but he said something to the effects of, but for the grace of God, that would have been me or that would have been you. And it was actually his wife talking to him. Remember, they were standing, I I believe that he said they were standing in the kitchen watching the news. And he said he was going on about how how that kid was. And he said his wife looked at him and said, hey, Bill, but for the grace of God, that would have been you. And he's obviously talking, uh, and I encourage everybody to go out and get the book Speed Trap. Uh, it's on, I believe it's still on Amazon. You can uh, pick up a copy. But, uh, you know, referencing many a times in that book where he was just that close himself to being on the wrong side of that weapon. Yeah. 
that was the thing that I I liked about it. It's available on Kindle as well. Um, that he he didn't sugarcoat what he did. He laid it out. He and he didn't blame the system, prosecutors. He said I did it, and he accepted responsibility. That was one of the things I admired the most about him. And he was honest. He didn't try and minimize what he'd done. Um, at any time. And a lot of people just can't do that. There's just natural tendency. You do something bad, but you try and make it not look as bad as it was. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a defense mechanism almost. And so when, when Michael told me, I didn't believe it, and I, I, I searched his name and found the obituary and cried at my desk at work. Because I think I got a Facebook message. And I had never met him in person, but he he did have a an impact on me. And he was a great a great interview and I would have loved to have seen a follow up. Absolutely. And I think actually and Brad can correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> Uh, we were actually working on uh, getting Bill to come back on the show at the time that this happened, weren't we? Weren't we in the middle of talking with Bill, you know, because he was getting ready to do the Survivor thing, and I believe we were getting ready to bring him back on something we were doing. I, I could be wrong, Brad, or I could be misremembering, am I? Well, I mean, you know, I think in all intents and purposes we had talked about you know, bringing him back on at some point. I don't know in where in in the timeline that fell, but uh, you know, I know we had talked about what what gets me is, and I and I'll do it to this day. I mean, it's kind of creepy, but I watched that Survivor video. You know, the to just he was so full of of life. You know, at that point, and it was a tragic event that happened. I don't know the details, and and I've never pried into it. Uh, other than the police report that I've read online, that it was just a single vehicle accident, and he uh, was traveling down 365, which is a local highway out here, and and hit head on with a telephone pole, and um, you know I don't know the circumstances underneath. You know there was the, the visibility and everything was okay. You know there was no weather related deal, so you know I don't know whether it happened beforehand or or he just lost control or what it was, but, uh, we had, um, we, uh, we had been obviously talking. I know that I had wanted to try to meet up with him and had been trying to arrange a time to learn more about the drone you know, situation. And, uh, I really honestly was trying, you know, to find a connection to, you know, I didn't want to be the guy go, hey, you know, you're on the radio show, let's be friends. I was actually trying to find something that mutually we had an interest in and, and try to build a, a friendship with the with the gentleman because he was just a great person to me. Um, uh, but, you know, and then going back, like, I still catch myself time to time, Michael. I watch that Survivor video and I think, you know, what could have been. And But then I think to myself, Bill probably wouldn't want that, you know. I think... 
I, I would I would think not knowing him very well, but knowing the way he presented himself, I think that he would want his legacy to be that of, you know, not judging a book by its cover, but, you know, opening the pages and reading a little bit and, and learning about someone and why maybe they did what they did, you know, because I think he was all about the backstory um, of, of why and, and going, you know what? People make mistakes, but people can change. And, and I think that's one of the biggest things, again, that I pulled from Bill was that he he saw the good in people and realized that not everything bad was instant evil, that that there was a way to reach people. And I think I don't think he was given enough time um, by whatever design you believe in. But, uh, you know, definitely mm-hmm. a, a sad sad thing for me you know not even and i guess that's the weirdest part sean is i there was such a connection there with with bill that it feels like i'd known him for 20 years you know i see people that pass away on facebook all the time the gentleman at kroger's in indian hills i've probably ran into him a hundred times but there was that there was no effect to that and that's why i think bill was a special individual is because he was able to to connect you know, on certain levels with, with people through his stories and his, his uh, experiences. I certainly, uh, I certainly do agree with everything you said there about uh, Mr. Allen. Now the last show we ever had, we talked about the, uh, we talked about the murders of Tupac and the notorious B.I.G., as this was uh, almost a precursor to a television show that was getting ready to start in uh, on the USA Network, I believe it was. And we were talking with uh, one of the gentlemen, one of the detectives close to the case, and we, you know, blew quite a bit of news off of the uh, stories, you know, stuff that apparently the LAPD didn't want to investigate and the Las Vegas police department didn't want to investigate and things like that. Lisa, I was just wondering, uh, you know, especially before we wrap this up, uh, and we'll go with Brad too. And Sean, will ask you guys a little bit easier of a question, but Lisa, uh, have you heard anything first off? Uh, have you seen anything possibly as far as an investigation still continuing to this day? In your legal uh, look at, in your legal filings that you look through, or um, is it pretty much dead at this point? Well, I, I think it's pretty much dead. Um, one of the problems that they were up against is that the most of the people who might have known something are not likely to trust the police or talk to the police about what they know. So that was one of the main. Um, you know, that was one of the main stumbling blocks that investigators in Las Vegas and Los Angeles had in trying to identify who, whoever perpetrated each of these murders. Um, I think Russell Poole, for all intents and purposes, kind of muddied the waters with that, with his investigation. Um, right. And then by the time uh, our guest, whose name is escaping me, and it's terrible because yeah. I read his book, um, by the time exactly. he got a hold of it. But I think it, 
it, it came, he got a hold of it, and I think they were making good strides. But somewhere at the top, LAPD didn't want to step on Las Vegas' toes, and LAPD didn't Detective want Keaton, to. Detective that was his name. That was his name, exactly. Yes. Thank you. And I did watch most of the USA uh, series. I missed the last couple of episodes, and my on-demand sucks, so I didn't get to watch them. But it was a pretty good series because it looked at both – it looked at the Russell Poole investigation and then the uh, renewed investigation. So um, Now, Shug Knight have- has been convicted in another murder. Mm-hmm. And he's now in prison. Yeah, I knew Suge was in jail still, I, or I believe he's still mm-hmm. in prison. But yeah. the th- the question I want to ask the three of you, do you guys believe that there will <laughs> ever be quote-unquote justice in this case? Or is it one of those situations where it's just come terms with reality, this will never be solved? And we'll start with you, well, Peter, obviously. I I don't think it will ever ever be solved and even if they were to identify and arrest someone I think their chances of getting a conviction are very slim because so much time has passed. Okay. Okay. And right. again, you know it, it looks like it may have been a conspiracy of some sort. And a lot of the people who were involved in it are now dead. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and that's yeah, another definitely. stumbling block. Exactly. Sean? I mean, well, I'm still hoping that you know, still alive somewhere. Um, you know, that's, that's, just, that's just a dream of mine, because he was a true poet. Uh, but no, I, I don't he think was. anybody's ever gonna really find out what what happened or convict anybody it's it's kind of sad Brad do you have any hope I mean I think just like the gentleman said when we interviewed him back then I think that you know exactly what happened um and I think for all intents and purposes the streets have pretty much served out you know the 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 sentencing for these individuals. I think justice was served on the streets, which, you know, the way Tupac and, and Biggie lived their lives to a degree, you know, it was kind of fitting. The streets served basically their own justice. I think we know what happened. I think we yeah. want to hope that there's going to be this big court case and all this, but I think we honestly, I think they know at least what happened to Tupac um, and you know, it's just an unfortunate thing that that either one of them had to go. I'm like Sean. I was kind of hoping that that there was going to be this Machiavelli, um, <laughs> you know, deal. But yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I think we know what happened, and I think that those that were involved in it have either, you know, I think they've met a form of street justice, whether it's right or wrong. Uh, you know, just like they we, they said in the interview. Well, I remember right. I remember Brad, me and you sat down and watched a documentary about the situation and they kind of pointed the finger at uh Sean Combs as far as uh what happened to uh 
notorious B.I.G. Obviously, Sean Combs being Puff Daddy. No, no, no. Uh, Tupac. That would have been Tupac. Oh, yeah, Tupac. Tupac, excuse me, Tupac. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they kind of pointed the finger at uh, Puff Daddy about that situation. So, I mean, it does appear that, yes, street justice as far as the actual soldiers – but, you know, looking at gentlemen like Suge and Puff Daddy, it, you know, they're kind of they're kind of sitting there. If you know what happened, the prevailing thought is those two were the two ordering the hits. So was this really served in if, this case? I don't know if Sean Combs did anything. Uh, no. Had anybody uh, had a hit put out, I think. I think he's too smart for that, and 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 the reason I say that is because I know he I know he knows financially it would not have served him to have that on his deal. With with Suge Knight, um, Suge Knight's mentality has always been more of an iron fist type fear. Um, you know, uh, from what I understand and, and I know uh, I've heard, and and ultimately in the end, you know. He to me seems like one of those guys that had 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 money, <clears throat> fame, notoriety, but he still he still was an intimidator. A uh, you know I think he was mm-hmm. the epitome of of uh, the ultimate gangster. You know, and I think it's finally caught up with him. Um, I, I think he became this mentality that he was untouchable, and and we, he's found out that you can't do what he's been getting away with doing that your money and fame and, and the notoriety only goes so far. That's just, you know, that's my assessment mm-hmm. of the situation. I don't think Sean Combs had anything to do with it. No, I think okay. Sean Combs may have, he may have had, you know, just talk or frustration at something and said something kind of like, you know, Henry the second saying, God who will rid me of this priest and then the, the knights go kill Thomas Beckett. Not mm-hmm. intending for that uh, you know, not intending that result, but he said it in front of the wrong people that wanted to impress him. Um, maybe Snoop Dogg has the answers. That's, Snoop Dogg that's was possible. a crip hanging out with the bloods. I bet Martha Stewart Maybe knows. Snoop Dogg smoked too much weed to have so maybe, the answers. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's true. So, but maybe he's told Martha. Yeah, maybe. And, you know. But uh, <laughs> after this show, we kind of split off into three different podcasts. And you and Brad went off into behind the curtain, and, you you know, we went into the conspiracies and the kind of paranormal and everything. Uh, talk to us briefly. We've got about 20 minutes left, and I definitely want to get to our uh, projects on the horizon. But talk to us briefly, Brad and Lisa, about Behind the Curtain, especially uh, the Boys on the Tracks. That obviously the most uh, infamous episode of Behind the Curtain. Everybody mm-hmm. remembers uh, Brad there with the, looking like he was getting ready to put the tinfoil hat on, literally calling out everybody <laughs> in the government. Not named, not named Donald Trump. Well, you know what? What I've always been fascinated with um, the boys on the tracks. Um, you know, Michael. I know that you don't get down with the conspiracy theories, but I think that's where 
you have to open your eyes and realize that, mm-hmm. that, that, that there's a power out there that's stronger than we'll, we'll ever know. And I think that um, with that comes, again, things that, that happen that were like, that can be made to look like anything. Um, and I was shocked. Honestly, I, I reached out to Linda Ives on Facebook not even knowing, not even thinking that there would be a possibility that she would want to talk after all these years. And then I met with Mr. Roundsball, and initially that show, Lisa, if you remember, we were to have Billy Jack Haynes on. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hell, I didn't even know who he was. Michael knew who he was <coughs> from his love of professional wrestling. Um, I didn't know who the hell he was. Um, but he wasn't able to make it. And we got Linda Ives on, and we've got uh, Keith on. And, you know, that's a subject that in Saline County, you know, you didn't talk about the MENA connection, Sean. I mean, you were – I don't know how long you'd been in Saline County, Sean. I know you were in the Mayflower area, which would be Garland, but uh, – or Faulkner, excuse me, not Garland, Faulkner. Yeah. Um, but – you did not talk about in the in the eighties and the nineties. You did not mention the Mina connection out of pure fear that something was going to happen. And and ironically, if you watch documentaries like the Clinton Chronicles and the Mina connection, there were very suspicious demises of people that were involved in this case. Um, to the point of you go. Hmm, you know, Fanny Malik was one mm. of the ones that, that I called out. I mean, Sean, I know you are a mm-hmm. Clinton supporter, uh, but like Fanny Malik and people like that, the medical examiner, what mm. a crock of shit that this guy turned out to be. I mean, cover up. I mean, just, uh, Lisa, you've seen some of it. You know, tell me a gentleman committed suicide by blowing his chest away five times. Give me a break. <laughs> I have, um, I've reviewed a few cases that Fami Malik was involved in, but I see him more as just incompetent than, I, I don't know, I don't see a conspiracy. I just see, like I said, incompetence. That he didn't know what he was doing and he had no business doing it. Well, see, um, I just I tend to disagree because he was in the back pocket of. I mean, you look at. I know that documentaries are slanted to what those that are making them want you to see, but they're you know, the insider information on all of that and what kind of sparked my interest in that too was, the the Vince Foster uh, case that spawned out of that not out of that but just spawned out of the dealings that involved some of that you know, to a degree, the whole, there was just way too many inconsistencies with what the official report said to me. And I will give you incompetence on, <clears throat> on, on isolated incident, incidences, but something of this magnitude, I'm more, I'm more apt to believe that, that there was a, a cover up, And, and, and I think that's why I chose to do a show like behind the curtain, not, you know, rest his soul, uh, Art Bell, who's no longer with us. We lost him in the past year, you know, Sean, and I loved Art Bell. But, uh, you know, li- listening to guys like Art Bell who who went outside of the norm and outside of the box, you know, that was one of the things that I enjoyed doing behind the curtain. Um, 
you know, and it was a, the 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 version 2.0 adding Lisa to that show, you know, was there was a dynamic there. I had the the skeptical viewpoint, the the put it in reality kind of, and then there was me <laughs> who believed that that. that Freaking, we were gonna, you know, Slimer was gonna come coming around the corner, uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it made it great. It was just sometimes things become overwhelming, and and for a show like that to have existed, you have to have, you know, the you had to have a guest on there because there was only so much we could bounce back and forth, you know. And going into mm-hmm. future right. projects, you know, me and Cody are talking. Uh, Cody's a conspiracy nut like I am And I wasn't really looking to ever debunk one story Like Art Bell never looked to debunk your story He just wanted to present it out there And get it out there and let the public formulate their opinion on it And uh, based off of uh, it was The whole purpose of Behind the Curtain was more for entertainment uh, value than And with, with a little bit of a side of education But you know, and I think it worked. Um, it just got to the point where it's hard to to maintain everything else going on and do that show. But I enjoyed the episodes that yeah. we did. You know, I'm I miss it. I really do. It was fun. You and know, I had I a lot of paranormal contacts to <laughs> to bring in. Mm-hmm. You know that was so, yeah. And I I still too. have them if I you want. Got, you know. If you want to do that with the new show, yeah, I definitely do. I know that. I know that when we come back, and I, <clears> you know, I, I think that, I think that what I what I do, what I end up doing is I have this idea of what I want to do, and I try to I take it to print before I proofread it, you know. And then I think that's what I'm setting this one up now is more or less. I want to have everything in order, my ducks in a row. And to be able to go into it, you know, and I think one of the first shows that we're talking about doing is examining the the Jonestown massacre, um, you know, and taking it away. I mean, I do want to do the paranormal, but I don't want to base everything around the paranormal. You know, like right. in an interview with Aline Pistanio, I know Sean had his doubts, and, and there were several of doubts that I had. You know, I don't know, Lisa, if you ever met her. Uh, being in the area, you know, of New Orleans or whatever, but there were some points to what she said, and then there were some of the ones that you go, mm, I don't know, <laughs> but um, you know, it was fun, and I look forward yeah. to doing some more of it. It's just I have to find that balance of time, and and uh, that's why I'm waiting for the. I think maybe maybe 2019 might be when Plain Sight makes its debut. Um, okay. I'm thinking, um, you know, I just have to get everything coordinated. And of course, you know, I play a, a heel commissioner uh, in, in the uh, uh, All-Star Wrestling Federation. Um, and that takes up a lot of time, especially with cutting promos and, and doing work to promote that show and my character and the storylines that we're doing there. Uh, and then I've also signed on board with several other promotions. Um, LFW out of Bryant and, uh, you know, SCW in Mountain Pine, there's a possibility. And then the new Arkansas Wrestling Organization in the River Valley area. So, you know, I don't know. I, 
Michael, I may have opened too many damn cans of worms, and they're just going all over the place. And I'm hell trying to get them all back together, you know. We'll just we'll just make the fire bigger so you can keep them all over it. Oh <laughs> uh, well, definitely. I mean, you know, and I don't want to. I hope nobody thought I was trying to undercut the uh, the podcast they're talking about the boys on the tracks because let me tell you you know if i had a vote for probably the most eye-opening just fly by the seat of your pants just crazy episode we've ever had on this uh you know in the four years we've been doing this on talk radio 49 that would probably be it that was just insanity from start to finish, what we learned about everything, and you know, I, oh, yeah. I, I knew. That. I'm not dead. The Kennedys were crazy, but by God, I mean, I called out yeah. some names, and I would do it again in a heartbeat. And uh, I'm still here, so I, I'm I'm ahead of the curve, I think. Yeah, the Clintons didn't <laughs> come get you yet. Yeah, they haven't come <laughs> and got not. me yet. So. But that's probably why I have the, the Hillary bumper sticker on, Sean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's why I've always had it. <laughs> and uh, I mean, Sean, we I'm disappointed. About that, let me ask your honest opinion, Sean. Do you? Yeah. I know you're a Clinton supporter, but do you give any validity to what you've seen as far as as some of the stuff that that's been bandied about with that? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've never been big on conspiracy theories. I mean. They're corrupt politicians. Everybody knows that. Uh, they're bad politicians. Everybody knows that. So, um, I mean, did they have a part in the murder of children on the railroad tracks? I don't think so. I think that's just a uh, right-wing extremism, honestly. You know, just conspiracy theories. But uh, yeah, let's hope she doesn't run this time. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't lying there. Uh, and I was gonna say, I'm. I'm disappointed that I haven't found an attorney to get that case out of Saline County and get some other agency within Arkansas to investigate it. But I oh, haven't we're, been able we're to still get 20 any attorney. Over here. I know, but I went I went with, you know, the the civil rights attorneys that you know, they they do this for, you know, fun. <laughs> and because um, it's it's kind of a civil rights issue of of getting because that's one of the problems I think is that the potential for involvement by people in the county government and law enforcement it should have been investigated outside the county by you know a state agency maybe the Arkansas State Police although. They, they did have some Arkansas State Police help. But uh like I said, the those attorneys are not uh are not biting. Well, according to the conspiracy theorists, the Arkansas State Police are uh Hillary's lesbian wranglers, so you know, they were a little busy. Yeah, that could be, maybe. <laughs> Although I think that's New York State Police's job now. Because yes, yes. oh, yeah, they they haven't been back to Arkansas since they left the White House. Oh no, Bill's been back a couple of times. He was here just a couple of weeks ago. 
Oh, really? Was Bill here? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he comes back yeah, every now and then to get some money from everybody. Bill He's like an evangelist. Bill's got an apartment actually above the Clinton Library that uh, he stays at from time to time. Yeah, that's where no, he keeps no, the blue dress. <laughs> yes, the blue the blue dress. Oh Lord, I, Sean, I wanted to ask yeah. you uh, this that came about. Have you have you by chance seen or has it even released yet the the whole uh, Monica Lewinsky tell all deal that has been advertised? Uh, yeah, that's on cable. I haven't seen it, but I've read a lot of articles about it. Um, uh, most people uh, say it's very eye-opening, uh, very sympathetic to uh, Monica Lewinsky, as it should be. And uh, it's really, uh, you know, doesn't really attack Bill Clinton, but it does attack his character for never apologizing and never, you know, owning up to everything that he did. I, I had meant to, to, to try to catch that. I know it's on cable, but uh, I was hoping that somewhere I could find that. Uh, I think I it's on A&E. Have... Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't have a subscription to – I mean, what I use is like YouTube and other certain things on the Internet to to watch shows and, um, you know. i tell you right now, if anybody gets an opportunity – Breaking Bad was amazing, but Better Call Saul has been absolutely phenomenal. Huh. Haven't seen either one. Haunt, Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. Now that I've seen, I saw the first episode. That's really, that's mm-hmm. really good. And, yeah. and also, I, I watched Blade, all I'm ten. Sure, I, I want y'all say, I want some, Sean, I'm, I want your opinion and Lisa, you're too. I was a huge fan of Roseanne, the show. Um, yes. And then when she did what she did, it was it broke my heart because I the reboot was absolutely amazing to me. And I will say mm-hmm. that I've been watching the Connors, and and mm-hmm. I haven't been disappointed. I really love how they've gone about the Connors. I really do. I think that's awesome. I do too. I do too. Yeah, I was really worried that uh, that the show had lost its heart <laughs> and that it wouldn't be as good, but it is. It, it's it's almost just as good as it used to be. And uh, I've, I've enjoyed it too. Yeah, and I feel you know, bad that Roseanne's been bashing it. Um, but you know, I think that the first episode, they really did a lot to pay tribute to her. Yeah, and did. initially, she felt bad because of all the people that were losing their jobs. And yeah. so she worked out this deal to step away. And then the night that the Connors premiered, she's bad mouthing it. It's like, woman, make up your mind. Well, I think that was the issue is that she couldn't make up her mind about anything. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that was my big thing. I think, oh no, she's gone that show. But that show's actually, and you know, watching the episodes that I've watched, you know, they've they could have the writers could have had a field day with her being off the show, but I think respectfully they still pay a tribute to her and, yeah, and that show while they do. addressing issues. And and it hasn't they gone liberal la la land, you know. They've stayed you know, they've stayed right. right to me. They've stayed as moderate as you can and they've been as respectful as they can to her. And and so I thought it it's been great and I've enjoyed watching it. Like Sean said, it's Mm-hmm. They're, they're, the drop-off of losing the, the main character, Roseanne, hasn't been as bad as I thought. It's more been a speed bump than a 
the cliffhanger that I right. thought it would have been. So I was actually well, impressed with personally, it and enjoyed it. Personally, I always thought that John Goodman, Sarah Gilbert, and um, Aunt Jackie, and I, I know her name because she's Sheldon's mama, but I can't think of it right now. <laughs> I've always thought they were funnier than Roseanne anyway. And, you know, and seeing the, the DJ, you know, DJ all grown up and an adult. And funny, and Becky, and they're you know the the you know Becky's storyline is just hilarious sometimes. Yes, so, yes. but no, I thought they paid tribute to Roseanne, and and they've done it in a very thoughtful, respectful way. And I mean, they do even manage to show almost every episode the the real you know hole that's left in their lives. With Roseanne being gone, they they addressed it tonight. So yeah, it's a great show. Hey Sean, I wanted to ask you, you know, talking about moving forward, you know, with your sci-fi visions. Obviously, um, two two things have happened. You know, Stan Lee passing away uh, was felt by the comic world tremendously. And then today it was announced that, and I don't know how to feel about this, that the creator of SpongeBob is gone. I don't know, you know, obviously making light of the situation, you know, having given me that damn song that sticks in my head at the seventh inning of a Traveler's game, you know, I, I can tell you who lives in the pineapple under the, the, the F and C. Um, it's still sad, though. Two icons of the generation are gone, you know? I mean, Wow. Um, yeah, uh, I, I, SpongeBob SquarePants is uh, after my time. I, w- I wasn't a big fan of that. Uh, it is bad that he passed away. But uh, the legend Stan Lee passing away, you know, I mean, he was coming. He was 95 years old. He, 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 was, he was a cool guy for all comic fans that are out there, all the fanboys and everything. Um, I was really interested in the uh, controversy Bill Maher brought about with his comments and everything because he not being a fanboy and being you know an honest person upset the entire you know fanboy community, and they all went on the attack after him and everything. But you know I actually respected what Bill Maher said. And, uh, you know, I value his opinion usually, and, and I thought he was just being honest. And, you know, he, he made some great points himself. Uh, Stanley was a, you know, he was an entertainer. He was a figurehead for Marvel Comics, and he, he was one of the best pitchmen that ever were. But, uh, you know, too many people kind of put him up on a pedestal that I, I think that they shouldn't have. He brought a lot of joy to the world, and, you know, I, I mourn his passing with everybody else. Uh you know, if, if you want to here in the next uh, week or so, I'm actually going to do a live podcast about that on SciFiVisions.com. I'll definitely want to check that out because I was unaware of the Bill Maher deal. So that'll be definitely if you'll shoot me a, a link to that, I'll definitely to catch that because I, I didn't know much about Stan Lee. I've never really been big into the comics, but, uh, yeah. you know, from a creative standpoint, uh, I would say that the, the guy's a genius. I mean, he's had longevity in that industry as far as, and his iconic characters. So, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't know much about him, but, and I'll definitely have to check out the Bill Maher thing before listening to your podcast. Right. Cause I had no idea that he even said anything about him. 
Yeah, yeah. It was just, uh, again, it was an honest opinion about what he saw as the silliness of basically the zeitgeist, you know, uh, their obsession with Stanley. And, uh, again, a lot of people took great offense to it. People like Kevin Smith smoke out against it. Uh, of course, Marvel Comics themselves spoke out against it. And it was really interesting. It was just an interesting week for all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, uh, it's SciFiVisions.com. We have a Facebook group page, Facebook like page. Um, my partner, uh, Donald E. Spix, he's on there. Uh, he's working on a podcast himself. He's going to be doing some different things. I did one on Dungeons & Dragons, uh, the role-playing game recently. Uh, check us out on Facebook. Uh, that's where we're primarily at right now. Pretty soon to be on YouTube to have our own channel over there as well. Great. And uh, I wanted to say, Sean and um, Brad, if you guys want to record like promos for your things, you know, sci-fi visions or, or when you get plain sight going and uh, get, send them to Michael and we can play them. Okay. I mean, oh, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll reach, you know, however many people we reach, but we'll be happy to play them. You can do a general one or a one for a specific episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll and we'll be more than happy to publicize it. Sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. Well, gentlemen, it, uh, well, again, Michael, before we go, I feel like we've a... I feel like we've accomplished something, and uh, because Sean hasn't told me to f off yet, so I feel like we've done something. Sean, we've broken ground, my friend. (laughs) I mean, internally, you probably like. I don't think. Hold on, hold on, hold on. This may be the second time because I don't think he said it. I, I don't think he said it on election night either. So I mean, we we may be starting a trend here. A kind, a kindler, gentler Sean Castleberry. Nice. It's all the sci-fi <laughs> stuff. I really love it. it. It keeps me happy. Well, Sean, I, I wish you the best of luck, brother, in, in your sci-fi visions. I know that that was something that, you know, I, your dad had, had kind of done, and, and you took the reins with you and Donald doing it, and and uh, if I remember correctly, and I, and I hope that, you get everything out of that that you that you you know you achieve try to aspire for, and it's interesting um, if you're into that kind of thing. I know you guys do movie reviews at times, and some of the more entertaining videos I've ever seen uh, was when you were sitting in front of your studio deal reviewing movies. It was hilarious. Yeah, we have a blooper reel on there too. If you ever check that out, it's pretty funny. But I mean, I guess so. I like again, man. I wish and, and clear and convincing. I've I've caught a couple of episodes. Uh, unfortunately, usually when that's going on, I'm you know involved in something at work or whatever. But I usually try to go back and listen to some of it. Um, the only thing about that show is I can't understand half the language on there. I feel like an idiot. <laughs> yeah, I'm like. You know, I guess I need to. I'm like the simplified justice system. You know, I don't. I couldn't <laughs> half the words you term terminology or some shit I've ordered at the Asian buffet or something. You know, I just I don't know. But uh, I've had fun, and it's been a hell of a year. And and I look forward to uh, another year of doing something that doesn't land well, in prison. Um, Brad, <laughs> send me your address, and I'll send you a Black's Legal Dictionary. 
and you can just you know start start looking up the words. That's how that's how you learn them. <laughs> I'll have to uh, you have to get Michael's got the address. I would definitely deliver. Okay, that. I'll I send it to Michael. Some of these official documents I've collected over the years. Um, personal. I'll make a word a day justice. legal legal word a day calendar. Oh, there we go. That's what Brad needs. He can learn. He can learn uh, as he's working. Michael, in the last in the last fifteen years, I've made it a point to stop collecting legal documents. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all are thankful that you have. It's it's been hard. There's been times I wanted to expand my collection, but I I stopped. We're good. We're good. Well, Brad, I certainly want to thank you and Sean both, um, both for coming on. You know, once again, I can't believe it's been a year, but we certainly are glad that you guys are doing well, and it's glad to hear, and uh, we're glad to have you on again here uh, with Lisa and myself. And you know, we had some, we had some. Interesting debates again tonight of some subjects we've already covered. So, you know, can't look can't wait till another three hundred and sixty four days so we can do it again, guys. Thank you guys. Well we have election night next year too. You gotta to remember that. That's gonna be a big one. Oh yeah, true. Oh, okay. True. Fun. Oh yeah. That was uh Sean, I tell you right now, um, I know you were having difficulties in what you were doing. That was the hardest gig I've ever done in my entire life was to absolutely sit there and talk about something and make it sound like I knew exactly what in the hell I was talking about when I didn't have a damn clue. Yeah, and me, try, me trying to feed you race results and polls and all this shit. Like, I'm sitting here like Maryland, number, Maryland 2, Maryland 3. Maryland, I'm like, what in the hell? <laughs> I gained a new respect for Wolf Blitzer and all them that night. I listened and I thought y'all did a great job. Uh, I can only imagine. I can only aspire to be Wolf Blitzer. You know, I can't come out of that But no, it was fun. It was it was different. Um, you know, uh, trying to sit there and. Thankfully, the results were coming in at, at a faster pace than than normal because I, you know, and, and there were ten, uh, plenty of our online deals to to kind of pass on to the listening audience. But that was a different experience and show for me, and it was fun. Um, and so, yeah, I can't wait for the the actual presidential election. Maybe uh, Blog Talk will expand their uh, allowed coverage of more than two hours because if it's anything like the previous elections, we'll probably announce a winner by about four or five o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and and that's if there isn't a recount. Remember, Florida is known for the recount now. Yeah, uh, well, I'm gonna get off here, and y'all have a great night. Uh, I've enjoyed it, and I will talk to all of y'all down the road. All right, Brad. Yeah, y'all you. have a good one. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Have a good one, Sean. Well, you know, once again, I can't believe it's been a year, but it's been a great one. It's been a lot of fun, Lisa. Uh, but, I, you know, it's getting 10 o'clock, so I got to go eat dinner and stuff. So uh, I'll let you wrap us up, yeah. and we'll go ahead and go home. 
All righty. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Clear and Convincing with Lisa O'Brien and Michael Carnahan and our special guests tonight, Brad Hicks and Sean Castleberry. If you like our show and you want to know more, you can find us on Facebook. Go to our blog at clearandconvincingpodcast.wordpress.com or follow me on Twitter at O'Brien LN. Join us next week for Episode 31, State of Texas versus Linda Carty. On May 16, 2001, Joanna Rodriguez and her infant son, Ray, were kidnapped from their apartment in Houston, Texas. Hours later, Ray was found unharmed in a vehicle owned by Linda Carty's daughter, and Joanna Rodriguez was found in, a, in the trunk of a vehicle rented for Carty by her daughter. In February 2002, Carty was convicted of capital murder and sentenced to death. Carty claims that she was set up by drug dealers seeking revenge, revenge against her for her time as a DEA informant. We'll examine the evidence against Linda Carty, her trial, and information developed during her post-conviction appeals. Thank you again, everyone. Have a safe week, and we will talk to you on Tuesday, on Tuesday, December 4th. Good night.